Whoa, hey there. Whoa, I'm back with a surprise Thursday episode. Um, and, and, and we'll maybe name the fact that it's the Thursdayness of today's episode, which is episode nine. It's not even the Thursdayness that's the thing that's crazy. It's just that it's only been like two days. <clears throat> and of course, nothing hockey wise has happened. We haven't even had, we haven't, there hasn't been one NHL game since Tuesday, but that's all right. Um, I got some, I just have, I remembered a bunch of things that I just wanted to like say in some sort of podcast form, um, some of which are hockey related. Um, and I think I've got a very special guest again, lined up this weekend. I hinted at it. Um, I booked him. So to sp- yeah, I, yeah, he agreed to do it last night. Um, took me a lot of, it was, a, it was, a, I, I drive a hard bargain. Um, in case you can't tell from listening, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a real brass tax negotiator. Um, so I said, we're going to sit down at the table. We're going to get this done. We're going to figure it out. And we did. So, uh, probably be recording another guest episode this weekend, which I'm, I'm very excited about that. So we're going to, I think I'll have that Saturday or Sunday. Um, but the occasion particularly for this episode is that it's Tony weekend, Tony's. Um, so, uh, AKA the greatest night in non-sports in my life. That's not true. Um, I do like the Tonys, uh, uh, any award show is fun and I love, and and who doesn't love Broadway? So we're going to talk about a little, some, some of these things. I know I, I know I teased Steinbeck and I probably, I will actually get into that, but I, I, I looked, I look at this as like a, as like a, a special episode. Um, and maybe we will get into some East of Eden. I don't know. Um, I got some things written, some prepared remarks. So I'm going to do that right after this. There's nothing prepared, um, and in fact, uh, well, here's here. Well, first, let me just let me at least say, as far as East of Eden is concerned, I think I shouldn't say much because I actually haven't even I haven't finished yet. I'm I'm down to maybe. Uh, I think I've got sixty to seventy pages left. Um, and again, it's only been a couple days. I read, I've been reading on the trains, you know, coming to and from work. I didn't read any on the way home from work today because it's needed a break from reading and stuff. Um, so I think I, I think I don't want to talk about it till I've actually re- finished the reread. Um, but I did, I do quickly just want to say that I'm, there's, there's like, there are a number of suicides in the book and I don't remember that at all. Um, I think all of which are earned, um, but it's, it's notable in how many, in its frequency. Um, so I, I whatever, I'll get into that more, but it's just, I didn't, I don't remember that at all, but they're all wonderfully rendered and written. Um, Stein, I mean, one of my favorite things that writers can do, um, I think, I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's just to sort of figure out a way to create a language, um, within whatever work where it's very clear, even if this is only on like a, like a, of a page level of analysis, um, as opposed to the whole novel level. Um, it's like, or even, you know, from, from page to page, or what I mean is like, um, page to page, you might, you might establish that a certain, um, uh, you might establish a certain metaphor and then you say something a paragraph later and it's clear you're saying something else. Um, you're, you're communicating one thing, even if your words 
imply one other thing. Um, and I love when when that's done effectively. Steinbeck uses that several times in this novel to to render a character's killing themselves. Like for instance, um, the son Tom kind of commits suicide in shame after. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, uh, a, a character. Well, it's, yeah. No one. No one. A. No one's listening to this. And B. And two. No one who listens to this is probably reading East of Eden. I mean, I'm not to insult anyone, but uh, whatever. Um, I don't think you're worried. I don't think anyone's blah, blah, blah. No one cares about this. So anyway, a character, uh, Tom, and I won't even bother explaining who he is, kills himself at one point in the book because he um, unwittingly kills his sister by trying to treat her um, or gave her some like medic medicine and it actually just essentially kills her. Um, but essentially yeah, Steinbeck says something like, you know, the car the guy just who lives alone in this house, like um, he picks up his rifle, writes a note to his brother, and then, like, gets on his horse and rides off into the woods. And then I think the last sentence of the chapter is something like, he was a perfect gentleman or something, or he was a, you know, he was a something noble gentleman. And it's just like, it, it had established this principle of, you know, this, he sort of, as if his suicide saved him some dignity or something. And um, I don't even want to get into that, uh, whether that's like a um, Steinbeck, at least in this novel, there's an, in, he's got an interesting view of suicide, which is that it's some sort of a, potentially righteous act, or at least for some of the characters in this book, it's the only way they can reclaim something in their life. Because um, I'm just, towards the end, one of the main antagonists in the book, Kate, um, who starts out the book with a different name, uh, kills herself um, by taking, by overdosing on, um, was it opium or, or, um, oh, uh, some sort of painkiller that she had a bunch of pills because her hands have been this, they're this, she's, got horrible arthritis and always in pain and blah, blah, blah. Um, but she's, she's, you know, as in a sort of dreamlike state, she's remembering the only thing she seems to have ever loved as a, as a person was reading Alice in Wonderland when she was a kid, and how Alice could drink the little bottle, the drink-me bottle, and shrink down to the tiny, to be tiny, and no one would see her. So here, Kate uh, drinks, and it says something about, you know, she just, um, the way that Kate's death is actually rendered in the book is, um, I, uh, you know, she drank, and then she's like, then she, then no one could see her, and then it was, and then she never existed at all, because she became so small, and so whatever. Um, anyway, uh, Steinbeck does that pretty nicely, and there's, uh, but there's, there are a, a couple of suicides, um, and also just, just deaths in general that all are rendered, no, it's not, it's never just like, and then he pulled the trigger, um, it's just handled a little bit more, um, a little more artfully than that, uh, and yet, kind of interesting that he chose it to as a way of writing about suicide um yeah and, and but uh i i think it's i i think it can be kind of funny in some of my books i'm also thinking of um in cryptonomicon uh neil neil stevenson's epic which is that was the first novel of his that i read um very very long um but earlier i mean earlier in the book someone is talking about what happens when you get the bends um and how essentially uh, it's all, it's always dangerous and you probably, you know, it's, you know, for anyone, if, yeah. So the, the, if you're, if you, if you're in danger of getting the bends, I mean, if you're coming up too fast through the water, um, I guess the way that you know it is that your, your knees will start to, or at least in the book, that's what this says. And I have no reason but to believe that this is the case. Um, but we, we, it's established early. Someone just mentions that like when your knees start to hurt, that's, you're in danger when you have the bends, um. And so much later in the book, towards the end, there's a character, like, there's a, there's a guy who, like, he's in some submarine that gets hit by a torpedo or something, and it's going down, and they're clearly all going to die, but he's like, oh, I'm just going to make a break for it and try and save myself. 
Um, and so he just opens the hatch way in the way down in the ocean and just starts like rising up through the water. And he's and it's like he describes for a couple paragraphs just like his trajectory up through the water and he's like feels good about himself and then there's just like a one sentence paragraph that just says like his knees began to ache and then it's just like the chapter ends and he's like oh well he died i mean clearly of course he was going to but it's very like it's a great way of saying like and then he got he died because of the bends um anyway well done neil stevenson and well done steinbeck anyway i'll, I'll get i guess i can talk more about east of eden some other time um i won't i don't want to comment i don't want to talk about it too much more until i'm finished but um I have had a few, I have had, uh, this past week, a wonderful thing, uh, my favorite type of reading experience. You know how if you, if you listen to NPR, they ever talk about the, um, the, uh, the driveway moment or something, which it's, it's kind of, uh, my mom works for public radio and, um, I know she has told me this before and I, I don't remember if, uh, I think they, I think some of them even use it when they talk about in, in like pledge season. I'm almost certain that they do. Um, anyway, my mom has certainly refer told me about this, but the idea of the driveway moment is where uh, the and it's a major selling point of all NPR and stuff is, you know, you're driving home and you're listening to a story, and you're so immersed in it that you you pull into your driveway and you stop the car, but you don't want to get out of the car because you want to finish listening to the story, um, and so you sit in the driveway and finish the story, and then when it's done, you can go in and go home. Um, the sort of similar thing that can happen sometimes when reading, at least as a New Yorker, uh, for me, which is, you know, me, to, to say that I'm riding the subway um, wherever I'm going, um, and uh, which is really, again, that's where I do almost all my reading, um, is that I can get so wrapped up in what I'm reading that I might potentially miss, like, my stop. Um, it didn't happen, but it almost happened... Uh, yesterday morning which was great um it hadn't happened to me in a long time like i've been so wrapped up in my book that um i didn't it just seemed like i got on at my stop and then i you know i i, I transferred downtown to like the f or to the six uh, when i'm going into the morning so it's like seven or eight stops um or something and uh usually i mean i'm in, even though i'm may well perfectly be enjoying what i'm reading um you know i'm kind of glancing up periodically and just to see where we are and um, or at least I'm even, or I'm listening and I just, I'm, I'm not so immersed in the book that I totally tune out of the world. Um, I still, I still basically know where, 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 we, where I am literally. Um, <clears throat> but in reading this, I had, I had such a great, um, yeah, it's just, I'm, cause again, I'm, I'm nearing, nearing the end of this epic story. I'm on page like 700 something. Um, I've certainly been in the upper 600s all you know, this, this past week or so. And it's just been great. Like it's really, it's really rewarding um, and, uh, really immersive and, and I'm totally into it when I'm, when I'm reading. And that's just, that's a great feeling. Like it doesn't happen all the time. Um, but you know, I mean, that's the same sort of thing. I think I was talking about, I've said how certain times in, you know, and let's just say in watching a sporting event, um, there can be a moment where you said you just, you, you totally lose the concept of time. I mean, again, to, in, 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 in honor of the, uh, it's like the opposite of, um, the great Sondheim song, Finishing the Hat, it's like wearing the hat so thoroughly that you just lose all track of time because you're, you're totally, um, you're so enthralled in the thing that you are doing that you lose all self-awareness, uh, um, which can be a wonderful feeling. Um, and so that, that happened while reading this week, and uh, it's very nice. And so another, again, uh, good, good on Steinbeck because it's, uh, that book held up 
it's 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 interesting. I mean, I mean, it's I think it's amazing that it it really touched. I remember remember my friends and I when we were in eighteen year eighteen year olds or so, um, or thereabouts in high school, like. I like over the over that summer leading up to my senior year, which because uh, this this book this book was assigned to us like for our AP literature course, and we had to read it over the summer, and then like immediately had like a test in the first day or two. Um, the point being that it's you know it's a it's a big assignment, it's a huge book, and that the the, the initial test is early enough in the summer that or early enough in the school year that there's no way you could wait till you know just September to read it. Um, and of course, this is before. Um, I, this was even before Wikipedia was as much of a thing as it is now, whereas, like, at the time you was still had to go to, like, Spark Notes or something if you wanted to cheat, uh, not that I, I didn't with this book, and I, and, um, but now I don't even know how, I don't know how college professors actually, or, or high school professors can, can, like, actually get kids to read any textbook, because, well, I mean, anyone can just go to Wikipedia. I mean, I mean, and I, I honestly, well, that's, that's a moral conundrum, um, because I can see why that may have not even be such a bad thing, but of course, for obvious reasons, it could be. Um, but adults use Wikipedia all the time. Um, I don't want to get totally sidetracked here. But uh, anyway, I remember us being eighteen, like you know, otherwise jaded eighteen-year-olds, and and something about East of Eden really spoke spoke even to 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 my friends and I then. And at, even at the time, it was written. I mean, the book must have been. I mean, that was two thousand six. I don't I don't know when exactly it was written, but I mean, it was every bit of what, 50 years old? Um, I don't know when he, he must have written in the 50s or 60s. I'm not, I don't really know now, but it was, let's just say it was every bit of 50 years old, and uh, it's totally communicated with us then, and just felt very real and alive, and uh, even, for, and then for me to read it 10 years later, same thing, I mean, I just find it completely enthralling. Now, there are certainly some things that don't hold up um, use of certain words, let's just say, um, Although that's nowhere near the same way that, like, Hemingway would use certain words. Um, you can probably imagine what word or words I'm referring to. Um, Hemingway used them in the novel, like, The Sun Also Rises, and that is kind of unforgivable to me, even though I might I might still like to read that book again someday, because he certainly was a great putter together of words. Um, but Steinbeck was, uh, and he, but he was, I think Steinbeck was a little bit more than purely a, uh, a put it together of words. I think he had good, he had interesting ideas, and a thing like East of Eden is a book where he's really struggling with some pretty solid themes that really, uh, really resonate. And I mean, and you can also, I mean, certain, certainly a person could argue that Hemingway was doing the same thing, um, but he seemed to be convinced that he, he knew the answers. Um, whereas Steinbeck, I think in a book like East of Eden is just more concerned with finding interesting kind of questions and exploring them in certain ways. Um, yeah, and just trying to find, figure out being alive and things like that. Um, so at any rate, it's, uh, I think I find it interesting that I'm, I'm as, as moved by the book just inter internally within my life. You know, it's still, I still find it really meaningful and resonant and relatable, um, let alone the fact that it, I ever did, uh, which is an achievement. So, um, again, I don't want to get too deep into this because I, um, I haven't even actually fully finished my reread of it, but, uh, yeah, because um, that's something that that's something that I came into or that came into my life. Um, yeah, maybe you know when I was when I was eighteen and uh, yeah um, became really important. Even though and I and there are, there's a there's a part early earlier on in the book where Samuel 
Hamilton finds metal, or what he thinks is metal, underneath the ground in Adam Trask's property, and he just is obsessed with, like, figuring it out and getting down there and drilling it out and finding out what it was, and, uh, and when I reread it this time, it was, it was different than I had remembered, because I had remembered, um, upon, from my initial read of it, that, like, it was one guy, it was, like, one character out in the fields, like, digging, and he just comes across this, like, strange metallic, um, thing somewhere under the soil, because in my, in the, as years went by and I would think back on that moment, it, it, it was like, it seemed like a really, it seemed like some sort of symbolic um, thing of like a character had found like his soul. I was convinced that it was like a a scene that represented a, a, a symbolic finding of one's soul and yet the totally unknowable uh, truth of, 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 of or, or full truth of that, even though you're aware something's happening, but you're like, well, what is this stuff that I found buried beneath... Um, the, the the surface or something um but in rereading it now it's like i don't think that at all um i still think it's interesting is it's because we never find out what exactly the the metallic stuff is below the surface um but it's it's like there are more there are more there are characters there it's less of a mystery to the to the characters and uh samuel and some of his sons and workers and um there's more there's just much more going on in that scene than i thought at the time i still like the idea of a character just going out into the fields and f finding something metallic or what, you know, and, and mysterious and um, not knowing what that might mean. And uh, if anyone out there has listened to Sheriff Death, the one, the second podcast of the Adam and Gordon show, there's a scene where that happens. It's the end of, uh, it's the very first scene of episode 10 of Sheriff Death, where a uh, character goes out and uh, finds something strange and metallic in the, uh, in the fields and it turns into something crazy. But uh, that's another story. Um, one that you can listen to on the Adam and Gordon show, um, Sheriff Death, but anyway, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, something, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, and I, I, I brought that whole thing up in that the book, I read it when I was 18 and, and it meant a lot to me and it stuck with me in turn, including individual scenes and things that, that now in rereading are still interesting, even if I'm finding that I misremembered certain things or there's more to certain things than I remember. Um, this novel is very much something that I felt like I had begun to formulate a bit of who I was before I really experienced it, and yet it still was very important, and, you know, it has been in the last, you know, t t 10 years of my life or so, as opposed to, now here I'm make, getting to the other piece of this comparison, as opposed to something like The Sabres, um, which continued to be, which continued to change, and I continue to change, but they felt like they're part of me for forever. I mean, they're not, they haven't really, but, um, we could go back to perhaps me being as young as six or seven and really, f and, 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 and not following the Sabres in any way. Again, it was really like 99 or so when I really, um, my fandom has basically reached a level, that's when it reached a level of like reading the paper every day and looking at their statistics and, you know, taking my, my T93 or T98 cal calculator and, um, projecting goal totals and point totals and assist totals and plus minus ratings for players as the season went on. Cause I was like, Oh man, if I got a 40 goal score, that'd be so cool. Um, and it did happen that year. Shatan scored 40 goals. Anyway, um, <clears throat> then projecting points and trying to, you know, do my own like statistical uh, projections of whether they'd make the playoffs and things like that. Um, that all started in that in 99. And so, uh, 
Um, but but at any rate, but even so, the Sabres were still that sort of Saberland mystical thing um, even before. And in, in fact, there's something there's something Saberlandish about that whole the way that I rem- well I guess misremembered that Steinbeck scene of the uh, the metal beneath the dirt, um, the metal under the soil. It's like I remembered it as a sort of Saberland like um, yeah mystical sort of uh, discovery of something deep and 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 real if if but difficult to explain or even verify or share because in the again in the book um uh the whole sort of eden-ish ranch or or or, or property that that at the trask wants to build adam trask wants to build and hire samuel to help him with um that falls apart not too long after that moment of the metal because uh various other things um kate and what forth even or, or whatnot even though she's kathy at the time but anyway um yeah, that's kind of interesting. I actually remembered that scene as if as a sort of Saberland thing, and because uh, I'm very, I mean, I'm really, I, I love, I love good moments in 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 books and movies or or or, uh, or shows or whatever, um, where somebody confronts or or suddenly comes upon something very deep and interesting, and and just sort of sits there and thinks about it. Like, uh, um, probably, probably my favorite serious film ever, um, <laughs> aside from. No, yeah, my my favorite film is is the Straight Story, which is funny because it's Lynch, but it's the most unLynchian movie, um, and it's but it's a wonderful, it's just a beautiful movie um, about Alvin Straight. Who, uh, wait, did I say the Straight Story? I think I did. Um, I can't. I, some, see, this is the thing that happens to me sometimes where I, I forget whether I I know what I was thinking, but I forget if I said the right word. I'll have to go back and listen and fix it in post. Anyway, it's the Straight Story. Um, yeah, and the Straight Story ends with. Um, well, it's just, it's based on a true story of a man named Alvin Strait who rode his lawnmower at like nine, 80 or 90 years old uh, across a couple states to visit his brother who'd had like a stroke. And he and his brother hadn't spoken in a, long, in a lot of years. And um, um, uh, oh, what was the actor's name? Um, Richard something. Oh, he was so good. Um, well, this is going to bother me. You know, I'm not even going to cut, because I'm going to prove that I can remember these things. I'm just going to sit here until, and I'm going to talk out loud, but I'm just going to, because he was also in The Natural, he played, uh, he played, like, um, the, the, like, the second manager of the team, um, because Wilford Brimley was the manager, and, uh, Michael Madsen was the, was, like, the prima donna outfielder, and Robert Redford was the actor, and Glenn Close was the friend, and they shot The Natural in Buffalo, and Richard Farnsworth, I did it. See, Richard Farnsworth, yeah, from The Natural. Richard Farnsworth was Alvin Strait, and uh, he was so good because he was old, and I think he died not too long after the filming. Um, I'm kind of, I'm chuffed about that. Anyway, uh, Straight Story is so beautiful. So anyway, the end of, at the end of, spoiler alert, at the end of the Straight Story, he finds his brother, and uh, they talk, and it just ends with like, this beautiful shot of the two of them on the brother's Lyle, the bro- Lyle Strait's cabin, and it just sort of pans up into the sky, and uh, there's just like a shot of the two of them looking up at the stars as these really old brothers, and it's it's really moving. Um, and Ad- Angelo Badalamenti did the score, um, so it's got that sort of lush, uh, ponderous, synthesized feel that 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 some of the Twin Peaks um, more more um, moments would ha- uh, not more, but just some of the some of the, you know how the, if you if you know Twin Peaks and how the score was. Um, well, Battle also did this, the music for, uh, or at least the theme, the main theme, um, 
for uh, Straight Story, and uh, it's great. Um, so anyway, that's a that's a type of moment that again it's all but that moment moment is earned by the entire film too. So I should uh, also say that, but um, it's really uh, it's great. And um, so those are those are yeah there are, there are times where uh, that's. I, I don't know, really know if I could call the end of the straight story a Saberland moment because it's uh it's very clear what has happened, but it's also um there's there's not much dialogue in that in that scene and it's pretty uh it's powerful. Um but the point of I guess the thing about Saber that when I when I what I what I mean when I say a, a Saberland moment, it's that it's again that image of seeing the Saberland thing logo and just but then not being able to ever replicate it or you know, I could I could tell my friends here about it and and say yeah it was like this cool place that I saw once and um, but no one else it's just I can't really prove that it I mean they would believe me but I can't really prove it or even I can't even really show anyone what it looked like because um, I just it's just it's gone um, from everything except mind but uh, I'm drawn to those sorts of moments and things so um, yeah. So, uh, with that, um, I, I, I talked for uh, a while there about, about something I didn't even want to get into in this episode, but that's okay. There'll be more, there'll be some more Steinbeck later, um, perhaps, but, uh, I, uh, speaking of, of trains, um, and, and reading, so I mentioned that, uh, um, yeah, so like my, my rides in this week, I've been doing a lot of reading because I'm just sort of, uh, you know, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm not tired from the day. It's, that's, you know, it's, it's great. Um, but, but at least yet today and yesterday, um, coming home from work, I didn't, I just was like, yeah, I'm just going to listen to, I've been, I've been listening to Great Comet of 1812, um, cause that's been in, that's been stuck in my head for a while. Um, I'd really like to go see it again someday. Um, and I sort of, I sort of, I had a couple hot weeks of, of nothing but Hello Dolly, um, and I'm, I'm still listening to it, but I, um, you know, you can only listen to something so much before you're just like, all right, I have to like, I have to take a little bit of a break, um, unless, except for Hamilton, but even Hamilton, that, that lasted like a year, but, um, no, but Great Comet is, 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 it's almost as good as Hamilton. Uh, it's, it's a different kind of show, but it's, uh, it's so good. Um, and War and Peace is the best novel ever, um. But, uh, anyway, so, like, so I've been, I, you know, and it's, it's, I can do some list, good listening to, to things, um, on my walk, like my lunchtime walk around, um, but sometimes I want to listen to a podcast or, or the news, like today I was listening to the news, um, and just walked around Midtown during my lunch, uh, but, yeah, like the ride home, if, if, if I'm not in, in, in a reading mood, I'm just gonna try and listen to stuff, and, but sometimes that can lead to some good, uh, kind of people watching, um, which is, of course, good and bad, and it's a dangerous thing to to be on a on a subway and just looking at people because you never know what'll happen. Um, but I saw, I I I've seen a couple things this week. This is what I kind of wanted to talk about, um, or one of the things I saw. Because um, I so I've been spending. I mean, not, my my niece is is now two years old, and she's amazing. I mean, she's my favorite person in the world. She's so much fun. And just getting to see her grow up is like the greatest, it's the greatest thing that there is. Um, and uh, so I, but I, it's, it's changed a lot of my opinions on what it's, what kids are about and what it means um, to even just be, to, again, to just be a human. And like, oh yeah, like I was like that once. Um, I can only assume. Um, I mean, I, I, yeah. And, uh, 
and the other day there was a there was a mom there was a, a woman and I I mean I think she was pretty clearly these kids' mother. There were three little kids. Pardon me. And uh, all about the same age. And one this little boy was like, I mean I was li- I had my music in in my earbuds and I was listening to it, but I could still just hear him screaming. Um, sort of rhythmically, and he was having fun. I mean, he wasn't screaming because he was upset or scared or, or or angry. He was just, like, having fun with his sister and, like, playing with her, but screaming, playing some scream game. Um, and she was, like, running around, and the mother was stressing out trying to, like, keep her kids under control and get the kid to stop. But, she, you know, she wouldn't, like, she wasn't going to, like, you know, physically restrain him from screaming. And, um... I mean, maybe at a certain point she would have, she should have done something, but it wasn't bothering me. But people were like turning to look at like, is this kid okay? Um, and I just thought like, what it, it's it's what a what a what a what a what a thing that like um, what a challenge it is to be a parent uh, um, because you you know I, I I talk about the sort of amazing feeling of you know being able to read a book or something and totally lose sight or sense of yourself. Um, and this woman who was who with her kids like she had no choice but if, like she could only i mean and and seeing my sister uh with her daughter um not that not that my niece is ever is is causing uh problems like that although we you know we we were on the train back a couple of weeks ago and um a 2 year old has a lot of energy and it and sometimes and she doesn't understand you know what it means to be in in certain areas and um doesn't understand she doesn't even she doesn't even know that she's in in, in different places um well she does but she doesn't know anything about what it means um but the point is you have to, but like, you have to always be totally focused on a kid because they don't know if they're about to kill themselves or, or, or do something terribly wrong to a, a stranger, um, or just inappropriate. Um, and, uh, and I just thought like, you know, and I, then I remembered how, uh, when I was later, you know, in, in like, so when you're, when you're two, you have no concept of that. You just, you don't even, your world isn't much more, isn't really that much bigger than your parent. Um, two, three, four, whatever. Um, but then, but you know, ten years after that, when you're like an early teenager, you just want nothing. You 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 only want the only thing you really would want is to be away from your parents. I mean, or or just like your parents can be so embarrassing to you, um, <clears throat> just by doing anything. And I thought, like, wouldn't it be interesting if someday uh, somebody comes up with like a service that, like, you can just. I mean, we could do this. Could be done now. But you just film your your child embarrassing you in front of a a, a train full of strangers, um, because I mean again that gets it's it's because other people on this train that I was on were looking you know sort of side eyeing the mother, sniggering at her like whispering like oh, what a terrible mom and it's really realistically it's like what could she what could she have done she has, she's juggling three kids and trying to keep them in line and get the, get the hell off this train. Um, but she has she has to she had to put aside all of there's 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 no room to even be like embarrassed or um you know because you just it's like you you can't that would be too that would be putting yourself yourself too far ahead of the needs of these kids um and i you know and i've i've learned some of that like not that you know in times that i've been watching my niece or out with her um she doesn't really embarrass me but i also realize like i can't i don't even I, there's no room for that because I'm just here to be, I just have to make, she's the most important thing. I'm, I'm nothing at this point. Not, I'm not nothing, but I'm just like, I don't even think about my own needs because I'm here to like, like enjoy her and also like 
in in some ways just you know look like take care of her or protect her from herself if if that's the if she's doing something that she isn't you know, whatever um but all your all the energy and focus is on her and uh i yeah i just was interested was i was just like it, it, it would be you know the when i grew up and like there was no way that i could ever really see footage of myself and begin to understand like the the things i put my parents through um it's nothing compared to like just a parent coming up and embarrassing you as a teenager um not that not that anybody needs to be embarrassing each other or something but i just wonder if like i just had this weird thought of like um i don't know if somehow it's some someday there will be a, a people will do some will come up with some service or whatever that like records you through your entire life so that you can maybe you can like mature faster or something because you will see that like the the things that you've done to a to your parents or whomever um so that you don't like you you realize like oh like it's not it's it's not it's not as bad as i think it is now or whatever i don't even know see and this is one of those this is also funny because as i'm saying this i realize how like kind of there's not even there's not even re, it's debatable whether this is even qualifies as an idea as an idea but at the time i thought it seemed like like remarkable when i was thinking on the subway i was like oh that's genius i got to go talk about that or i got to remember that um it's not and i shouldn't but whatever i said it i'm i'm okay with it i stand by it it's funny sort of but uh yeah so i don't know and then and i don't remember if this was the same same ride cuz i think i transferred this was like the d and then I think I transferred to an R. And then I was thinking about the somehow somehow this I don't somehow this led to um more thoughts about well, I guess because I was thinking about aging, and then I was like, I remembered just the image of of an overweight man, like an old, older like fifty something man. And I just thought, like, how strange that some some I, I hope this never happens to me. Um I suppose I cut a a, a, a a slightly slender figure um, as I'm traipsing about this mortal coil. But some men uh, get to a point where they they don't really... Their bodies just do this strange thing that I just... I still don't really understand the sort of physics of, let alone the... Um, uh, I, don't, I don't even know. Like, how else could how else could describe it? The way that... I don't understand the physics of their body, and I also don't don't understand who who how who decided uh, the way they 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 would that they would dress themselves. Because one man someday decided that he was going to dress himself in a certain way, and then he and and then we were done for because all the other fat people, fat men, like followed him uh, and did this. Anyway, so what I'm what I'm getting at is like there's there's a way that like the the, the front of your body of of certain some men's bodies will will like sort of the belly will like expand forward and down plunging over like the waistline which is the thing i don't understand and then like just sort of hanging off into nothing um and covering everything whereas the backside the butt seem in seemingly bold defiance of gravity and all other expectations seems to climb up the back and expand so that like the pants there are some. You, I'll, I mean, I I work with some, and I'll see some men, and I just like they must be wearing pants with like a sixty degree, sixty inch waistline, and it's it's also like the the pants seem to be cutting a sort of diagonal, uh, like um, um, uh, diameter around their body because 
It's like the pants have to go up at the back to cover the rising, expanding butt. But then as they wrap around the hips and go down over, like, the, the pubic bone, there's, like, I, I guess every day when you dress, you sort of lift your stomach out over and over, but then the shirt gets buttoned around the, the, the hanging gut, which then is also, like, carefully tucked in, skin-tight, dare I say, and then that is tucked into the belt and pants. So there's like, I just don't understand the architecture of, of, of clothing when you get to be a big fat guy. Um, and I just, I don't know, that's what I was thinking on the subway and I just, I sort of found it funny, but I just like, why does, why, why does that happen? What, what's going on there? Um, I don't know. Um, that has nothing to do with anything. It's just, it's just an expression or just a thing I noticed, but I like, why, if I ever get fat like that and get a big gut, um, I'm I'm just, I'm just proudly gonna, like, put my pants right around my stomach, um, I, I don't care, like, I just think that, I can't see how that wouldn't be more comfortable to just have, maybe you have to have, like, 80-inch waist pants, um, but I'd rather just, I'd rather just retain, like, a sort of Humpty Dumpty-ish shape instead of this strange sort of, like, I, I don't know, origami of blubber, um, that some, some men, uh, adopt. Anyway, um, I don't know. That's just a thought. You can do with it what you will. What else did I write down? Oh, yeah. One more thing. No. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just, uh, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not even, I, I'm, I'm certainly not trying to body shame anyone or, um, and my use of the word fat, you know, I just mean, no, I mean I'm I'm a little chubbier than I used to be, um, and I used to be quite skinny, um, in, in insanely skinny actually. I looked like a, yeah, I mean I looked like a, I mean I, I there were times where I sort of looked like a less, um, I mean I just looked like a like a like a car dealership bo do, uh, balloon, um, that level of skinny, but because uh, um, I'm I'm kind of tall too, um, but I put on some lbs, uh, and um. No, everybody. Get, I mean, everybody gets fat when they get older. I don't mean. I don't mean like you even have to be that fat. Well, I guess some of the. I guess I am talking about that for some of these people, but I'm not. It's not like they did anything wrong. I don't look at it like that. I'm just. Uh, I'm just thinking out loud, um, like the great poet Ed Sheeran reminds us. Uh, it's a, it's it's a mysterious thing. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so uh uh as I said, I've been I've just, I've just I've I've had a couple I guess the point of all I guess the point of this whole show thus far is um subway thoughts um because I've had some good non-thoughts while reading guided uh as as it were by the words and then and then con coming home conversely uh some good just sort of I don't know people thoughts based on on some while listening to to uh the great comet um which I really I hope cleans up with the Tonys this Sunday. Um, yeah, because I guess, and here's where this all kind of may get back to hockey, um, somewhat, which is that the, uh, the Great Comet of 1812, or Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 is based on the one's fame, you know, in case you don't know, um, and you do, is based on the, uh, section of War and Peace, um, where, um, well, it's just based on a section of War and Peace, and, um, it's a great section, the whole book is amazing, um, 
and any number of sections could have been made into adapted into into things. Um, but this one's perfect for a musical because it's it's just got kind of trashy com uh, romance, um, just epic moments and and good and humor and uh, pathos and all that good stuff. But what's interesting to me is that there there have been two cast recordings now. Um, the first one, which is the one that I listen to a lot, um, has several of the main supporting so-called um, players, um, but the two leads were 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 uh, it's Dave Malloy, who wrote the the the, the score and the show, um, starred as Pierre in the original couple mountings of it, and Philippa Sue, um, who uh, was was Natasha, and you and she of course was in uh, Hamilton as well. There and she's incredible. Um, and Malloy is, I mean, he's like, he's the perfect Pierre for the way this show was written. Um, but what's interesting and, and, and for the new, the new recording, which I haven't even listened to yet, but I did see this show on Broadway and Danae, so Danae Benton is the actress who played Natasha and she's great. She's, you know, she's, um, she's maybe she's not quite Philippa Sue, but she's still incredible. Um, and I should listen back because she's, uh, but I thought she was great when I saw her. And she's like 20 or something, so it's just like impossibly good and too young um, to be believed. But Josh Groban is the Pierre. And see, and this is where, this is where we get into like my, my interest in, in roles. Um, certainly, you know, as, as I talked about last time about like how a hockey team has, has roles or any, any sports team, um, I think lives and dies by successfully applying, um, people into their pro into the roles where they can most thrive and that's of course true of anything um but a broadway show is interesting because or in this case let's just say this show is interesting because we've got two different pierres um and not pierre mcguire he's he doesn't count um the first pierre is, is dave malloy um who fits you know it, it's when you listen to to his pierre you can hear that he's writing. I I believe he's. I mean, the, the character is written for a voice like. I mean, that is he is written for Malloy's own voice, but it's certainly someone like him because he 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 casts these non-traditional, um, excluding someone like Philippa Sue, who's just a beautiful soprano um, voice and high, sounds perfectly trained. And of course, as as Natasha should, because she's a young countess. Um, Pierre, who is a, who becomes the Count Bezikov, uh, in the book, um, becomes the most, like, the wealthiest Count in Russia. Um, well, the way that he's portrayed in, in this show, and, and in this point in the novel, he's just sort of a drunk, miserable wreck. Um, but, you know, when he's younger, when we first meet Pierre, he's, he, he's described as, um, one of the first sentences is that he's like a, he's described as a youthful man eager to talk to, intellectually with those around him and he sort of embarrasses himself at a party scene in the first chapter and first couple chapters in fact he kind of embarrasses himself there's a bear and involved and um it's i mean it's it's just it's it's all it's too good to 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 it's too good to like not go read it right now if you haven't ever read it um so you i mean you you could pre, you could portray pierre as a sort of flawed young man because he is much because prince andre who's pierre's friend is older um i mean of course and and, and old in the context of this book is like 30 um, because natasha is like 15 when most of the stuff's happening but you can't have a 15 year old on broadway like making out with someone it's just it's obviously not gonna work um so and they refer to pierre as an old man in the show 
um, many times. But in like, in maybe he was viewed as old. But even in the book, like he's not he's not more than like his late twenties or, thir- or early thirties at any and really most of it. Um, but at any rate, in the in the in the in the Malloy version, it's like um, he's he's just grizzled, and and Malloy himself has a, a beautiful voice, but it's not. It's not a, a pretty voice. You would never call it that. Certainly, in distinction to someone like Josh Groban, who's um, sort of brought himself down to a Malloy-ish level, but n- not really, because he's just too trained and too good, um, and too just 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 beautiful. You know, um, there's too much beauty in his voice to make it really be like this hard-drinking um, Pierre. I mean, he's and, and I will. And Groban was great. I mean, I when I when I saw him, and I hope he well. Um, if I'm sure, I think he, I have a feeling he's going to win the Tony as well. And, and, and it's not like he doesn't deserve it. Um, and he, and he even, you know, his, the one, the one line he has to like act in the show because everything else is sung. Um, you know, he acts it well. And so, uh, he, he does it and he, uh, but well, I'll, I'll get, uh, I also, the the thing I most appreciate about Groban is that like Pierre doesn't do anything in act one. Um, he just sits there and like, watches everybody except for a couple songs and I, that's the thing that most impressed me about Groban is not that he even was good when he was doing something it's that he accepted a role where he doesn't do much, anything for a lot of the show um, and yet he still is on stage acting um, but I appreciate that he actually was willing to become like an ensemble member as even though he's the star um, and obviously the biggest name in the cast he, he just accepted a role and didn't have didn't seem to do it with too much ego um, but at any rate uh, it's interesting to me because you can have two totally different vocal styles playing the same role. And I, I mean, I would still argue that I think I prefer Malloy's version because he's just, it's just my, it's just, I can't not, I mean, Pierre's the best character ever. And it's just, and this is like, and it's the best book ever. And it's just like, Malloy seems to love Tolstoy and War and Peace for the same reasons that I do. Um, and sings the part exactly as I want to hear, like the hero of a show that I would see. Um, he, he sings exactly as I would want someone to sing, because it's he, because he, of course he's he's a, of course he's a better singer than I am, but he sounds like a per, like a person. Whereas like sometimes Josh Groban is just too good to be believed. Um, I mean, he just doesn't sound like a human. He sounds like an angel or something. Um, but I just I just think it's it's and it's also it's a, I love when you can see a thing where the creator stars in his or her own work. Um, you know, I'm obviously thinking of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, and, uh, you know, you and, uh, well, no, Annie Baker doesn't, uh, I wish she acted, but I doesn't even, I don't even care. Um, cause I, she's one of my favorite writers too. Um, well, yeah, so never mind. She's a bad example, but, um, I just, I thought of her because she's so distinctive in the way that she writes, um, no one else could really could really do it like that, um, but well, yeah. So it, it, whether you're actually in it or not, that's that's I guess that's a little bit less important. Um, but you write something in such a way it's it's when you do get to see that the creator uh, also interpret it. Um, it's funny because you can tell that it was it was designed to be interpreted by someone with this exact skill set. Whereas when you see Josh Groban step into the role of Pierre, he's still great but it doesn't you just don't get the same effect because a he's just josh groban but he's also just not even if you didn't know who he was he just has a totally different vocal quality um and so this is where like this is where it's uh but what's interesting and here's where it's here's again here's how it's converge or it diverges from hockey is that 
you know, when you write a show, you you can it might be designed to be it might be intended somewhat for one type of performance or 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 sound, um, but it can still be good um, even if the person is not like the <clears throat> ideal choice in terms of their natural style. They can still just make it work and still be great because Comet Great Comet is still a phenomenal show. It's just not the same as if you saw if if if, if Malloy was in it. Um, but like if I had a hockey team. And I just said, well, I'm going to have like, I'm going to have like a, um, I don't know. I'm just going to have, I'm just going to have Connor McDavid as my top line center. But then I put like, um, Mike Fisher in there. It's not a good example because obviously Mike Fisher is less good, but he's rough and he's just like, he's a rough and tumble guy. You're like, well, because he's the first line center on the Predators now, now I'm like, well, there, well, it's just as good. Now he might, no, actually, you know. You still might have a good hockey team with Mike Fisher as your top line center, um, but it's just it's it's yeah it, it probably won't it probably wouldn't be as good um, because in sports like you you I don't know I mean there are there are different styles of play but um, it's just there are different factors where I think ultimately I feel like on on Broadway it's like if you have a good script um, then well see it's also different it's, maybe there's this is a horrible comparison because um, a hockey game, it's like you can, cause in a, sh in a show of some sort, there's an actual script. So every night's performance is the same thing. Um, so you could, it's, you should, it's easier to tell whether the person can do it or not. Whereas the, again, the beauty of sports is that it's all ultimately improvised, no matter how much you teach. Um, and in, and you can run individual plays and try, but you don't know exactly how the other team will answer and it's all improvised. So therefore it does come down to, um, it does come down really to not just individual skill, but also multiple people's styles and how they complement each other, because you need that. And if you, if they can't work together, there is no script to stick to and it would all fall apart. So I don't even know what the point of that comparison was. Cause it's like, who even, no one has ever been wondering or trying to figure that out. So I don't know if it matters at all. Um, but I've just been thinking, thinking about that stuff and, uh, listening to a lot of great Comet, which is a great show. Um, and I'd love to see it win because it, 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 it rose up through the ranks and I've known about it for a few years. I wish I had seen it in earlier iterations, but I wasn't able to, um, but I'm hoping to go see it again sometime. And I'm just always happy around Tony season or Tony time because it's, uh, you know, I just, it's theater's great. And, uh, I wish, yeah, I wish my high school had done better shows when I was there because I would have been in them, but I did have a lot of fun being the third trumpet in, uh, damn Yankees one year, um, See, and this is the, this is where sports and Broadway come combine. This is where it happened. I was in I was in a baseball musical and I had fun. See, so maybe it wasn't all that bad after all. Uh, yeah, well that's good. And also I brought it my brought us right back to high school, which is when all this happened because that's that was my senior year of high school, right after I'd read East of Eden, and my cat died. So <laughs> with that, um. I think I'm going to close this episode, episode nine. We're getting there. We've got a full nine innings. We've got a perfect game going of podcasts. Um, and Richard Farnsworth is proud because um, we're back in the, we're back in the natural. And I love that part in in uh, in, uh, in the natural where uh, Michael Madsen comes and goes. Oh, I lost it in the sun. And then uh, Brimley stares up into the sun and like chews his cud and just goes blinding. <laughs> that's my that's my that's my Brimley um 
yeah, and I didn't I just say I was going to try and do some more impressions. Um, I'll try and work that in. I don't, I don't, I don't even know what I'm, I, I have no idea how that's actually going to work. Um, but I just had this, I, I definitely wanted to be able to do that. Um, so maybe once I get these guests coming in here, we'll start doing that. We'll sort of, maybe I'll just have an episode where it's just me doing my bet. It's like me doing the trip three, the trip to Saberland. How about that? All right. So, uh, thanks for listening. And, uh, I'll be back probably on like, in like another two days. Cause I think I'm going to be doing this guest episode. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, so I'll, 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 I'll see you later. Bye-bye.